0: Welcome to In The Green Chair, an interview podcast series for people looking to begin or expand their career in the green economy. I'm your host, Anna Garza, and today's guest, In The Green Chair, is Executive Director of the Whistler Center for Sustainability, Ying Ho.
1: Sustainability and social purpose is the way we do things, not an add-on anymore. So in order to scale that up, I don't think we can expect everybody to be innovative and think of new ways to doing something. Rather, we need to learn what's working well and figure out how to replicate and replicate and replicate and scale it up so that it's easy for everyone to do no matter what size their organization.
0: She has over 20 years of experience in urban and community strategic planning. On this episode, we discuss how a strong vision and shared community goals can help build greener cities and more sustainable organizations. Welcome to The Green Chair, Chatting. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Anna. So you're based in Whistler and you're joining us today from there. BC and Whistler has some stereotypes of yoga, ski bumps, and greener living. As an urban planner living in BC, do you think any of these tropes are true? And why does it attract people to live there?
1: I just want to say first that I'm grateful to be living, working, and playing on the unceded shared territories of the Liwat and Squamish First Nations, and very grateful to be here on their land. yeah, probably less yoga, known for yoga even though we have lots of yoga studios. You hear so many stories of people coming to Whistler as a ski bum for a season and then 20 years later they're still here. So it's it's an amazing place to to live, work and play obviously and to raise a family. Before I moved to Whistler, I hardly ever came here as a, to ski in the, in the resort. But I had heard about Whistler's sustainability initiatives, and including the Whistler Housing Authority and the housing of the non-market and resident and price-restricted housing, which is very unique in the country. So it was really the sustainability stuff that Whistler was working on that attracted me, and when this opportunity came to to move here and head up the Whistler Center for Sustainability, that was what appealed to me. And then the playground was definitely a bonus. I didn't think I would end up living here for forever, but I'm planning to live here forever.
0: Yeah, that's that's a dream, finding a place where there's a good balance of the work and play. And would you say a town like Whistler is, is an exemplar case study for sustainable urban planning? Yeah, I, I think Whistler was more of a leader 10 years ago, and I think it
1: still has lots of leadership initiatives going on. I think a lot of other communities have caught up Worcester needs to keep itself on its toes to keep leading in, in sustainability, but there's definitely some really great initiatives going on.
0: So taking us a bit of a step back, could you break down what urban planning involves and how sustainable development intersects with that? Urban planning, I guess it involves everything to do with planning
1: for your community, that includes how land is used, transportation, housing, recreation, tourism. So everything involving how a community functions and and the infrastructure, the finances, how people interact. So, Pretty much everything to do with how a community needs to function now and into the future, and all local governments are required to develop a community plan of some some sort. They're called different things in different municip- in different provinces, but they need to be longish term, five to ten years, uh, looking into the future, and sustainability just has to be incorporated. I think most local governments across the country now really incorporate sustainability into the vision and into all the aspects of community much more so than they did 20, 25, 30 years ago. And climate and climate action is definitely integrated in community planning now.
0: There's so many different parts of it when it comes to urban planning and it's complex. So how do you know where to start and I guess maybe you can walk us through your your workday, who you collaborate with. We support
1: communities to do their planning and often that's around engagement. So one of the first things to start with is to make sure that there is a clear vision that the community has for how it wants to grow, develop and meet all the community's needs in the future. So sometimes we'll prompt it or raise some questions to make sure that all aspects are considered around sustainability, affordability, livability, equity, inclusion, diversity, to make sure those things are all included, but really just to facilitate those conversations and coming up with a shared vision. And then once the vision is created and some goals, then the planning can start. So how do we achieve these goals? needs to be done to get there. Our work in planning is everything from a broader community plan to a housing plan or a tourism plan. And then we do a lot of strategic planning as well for uh, nonprofit organizations to support them with strategic planning, but also with councils in, in local governments.
0: What are some key ideas of strategic planning? The vision is so important to make sure that
1: everybody is able to think of the the desired future, what they want in the future, as opposed to just start up identifying things that need to be done without having a really inspiring and aspiring vision for the future. So to make sure everybody's on board, so whether it's a community or it's a board or it's a council, to make sure there's that really clear and compelling vision that's articulated very clearly and also some specific goal statements around different areas of responsibility. And then once those are created, then you can figure out, well, how do we get there? We also do a bit of a current reality, like what's going on now, what are some strengths and and weaknesses? What are some external opportunities and threats that need to be considered? So having a good understanding of where you are now and where you want to go, then you can clearly identify the strategies and actions to get there.
0: Can you tell me about a recent project that your team worked on?
1: One, one project we started running a few years ago in the Sea to Sky Corridor here was called the Social Venture Challenge, and we found that whatever community we worked in, people talked about ec- local economic development was important and supporting local economy. So we started this program called the Social Venture Challenge. Uh, it was essentially a training program for new entrepreneurs wanting to start businesses or side hustles that had a social purpose. So we ran that for three years. And then the other thing that we just finished was a food recovery and redistribution strategy. So working with food banks in the region and grocers and restaurants and hotels. This was more research-based. That was our first phase just to really understand where's the extra food waste coming from? Where is it going? And what are the needs of the food banks? What is the need and demand and their current supply challenges Then trying to figure out Is there a way to connect and collaborate more between the food producers and and farmers, too, and the food banks in order to provide more food?
0: And in a busy urban environment, in what ways do people benefit from sustainability being incorporated into developments?
1: You know, sustainability is a pretty broad term. So we can talk about sustainability, everything from housing to climate change to protecting our environment and forests and oceans and water etc one of the things that the city of Vancouver just did was council just passed this I think it's a pilot project to densify neighborhoods so to allow owners of single family properties to develop up to six units in the single family lot so this is completely new very innovative and it's a great way to just test this out, incorporating policies around housing and then translating it to zoning and regulations that allow people to actually do those things. It's so important.
0: Can you share with me another example? Um, For instance, as someone walking down a city street, if I were to look around, what may I see that I don't know is part of a sustainability urban planning project?
1: Yeah, in talking about natural assets, so for example, we the communities, local governments spend a lot of money on infrastructure, so sewage, um, transportation, roads, etc. Meanwhile, a lot of our natural assets, our natural infrastructures, are are destroyed. So trees, wetlands, um, little small forests, little pocket parks, those things are are paved over for development instead we need to figure out how to preserve these natural assets these this green infrastructure for many reasons one it, it they act as natural infrastructure so for stormwater for example instead of having to build all this stormwater infrastructure if we allow these wetlands to be maintained these little creek beds that acts as natural infrastructure filtering our stormwater back into our water cycle instead of flowing out to the ocean and and it's gone. And also for climate impacts, the more green infrastructure we have in our communities, the more they act as carbon sinks and heat sinks. So, it's an adaptation as well as a mitigation s- support for for climate change.
0: Yeah, and and I like how you talked about infrastructure because I think a lot about in cities the concrete is a big issue right with flooding and i know that you have over 20 years of experience in community planning engagement and sustainability but i'm curious what did you want to do as a career when you were younger
1: oh when i was in high school I, i knew i wanted to go to university and my aim was to be a teacher So I actually was a teacher for about seven years. So right after university and my teaching certificate, I went overseas and I taught in Botswana for two and a half years. And then I ended up in Ontario afterwards. So I taught high school and college, Algonquin College in Ottawa, for about seven years total, I guess. And then mostly because of relationships falling apart, I moved back to BC and um, thought I would try to do some environmental education work because even when I was teaching in high school in Guelph I was really involved with getting students into extracurricular stuff so when I moved back to, to Vancouver I got a summer position doing environmental education for one of the nonprofit organizations in in Vancouver and then then I st- stayed with them for a year doing environmental education work and I really enjoyed that bit of not formal school curriculum, but doing broader educational work around environmental issues. And I was really interested in more of the in the urban environmental side as opposed to the wilderness conservation side. So doing lots of stuff around urban sustainability and transportation was where I ended up for a while. And then I worked with better environmentally sound transportation in Vancouver for a few years where we set up a bike to work week and now it's become You know all over the place bike to work month in bc and and just different initiatives so that's that's how i ended up working in this area as opposed to teaching
0: even though it still was a different field it was a kind of natural integration to what you're doing now it ended up going into the environmental side education and i'm sure that your education background was really formative in what the work that you're doing now too
1: yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I I enjoy that sharing knowledge. We'll be right back.
0: This interview series is part of the Green Collar Careers Program, brought to you by Relay Education. Relay is a Canadian charity that delivers renewable energy, environmental education, and green careers programs for youth. Remember to check out our website, relayeducation.com, and social media channels at Relay Education to find out when our next interview will be posted and to find resources on how to start your green career. Since you gave us a little bit of a... A glimpse into your career journey. How did your career lead you to the role of executive director of the Whistler Center?
1: Well, when I was at BEST, Better Environment and Sound Transportation, I was hired. It was a newish organization and they had no staff. So I was one of the first staff people. It was all volunteer, very grassroots volunteer. And then I got hired as one of the first two staff members and as we started developing the programs, I guess I just started taking on more leadership roles because someone needed to do that. So to start doing the fundraising and working with the board and, and then as we got more programs going, hiring people, managing people. So I sort of fell into that position and then my the organization I worked for after that, I, I interviewed for that position. Again, it was a, a new organization called Smart Growth BC. And uh, I interviewed f- to be the executive director of the new organization. And then we built that up to about 14 employees. And then here's same same here. I was really happy <laughs> at Smart Growth BC and you know life in Vancouver and uh, Never thought about living in Whistler. I was asked to apply for this job, and it was interesting. So I applied and and got it, moved my family up here, and that's that's how it happened. <laughs> and I don't know if I I would say I, I sought out to, to be an executive director, but it was more the organization that I really wanted to be involved in. And I guess to to lead the development of it.
0: So what's it like being a leader? What kind of leader do you try to be in in your past roles and in your current role?
1: Current role is is quite different from my past role cuz our organization we've kept small purposely and because we're we're very much an enterprising nonprofit and we're very similar to a consulting company except that we're a nonprofit, so no one has shares, no one makes a profit. We all earn wages based on what we bring in, but a bunch of the money is retained in the organization. So it's a different structure of a nonprofit. So we work quite equally in many ways, but I do oversee the others and I do the management and and administration. I, I guess the other thing I really enjoy about the executive director role is the organizational development piece. So being able to shape where the organization goes, I mean, as I mentioned, now I feel like I'm less of an executive director in that sense, but at the beginning, very much so. I I really created the programs, the structure, and really the direction of how we would grow the organization and build it out and how we worked with different organizations. And organizational development has always been interesting to me and that's I think that's why I like strategic planning with nonprofits in particular, nonprofits and some private sector, but it's just that that strategic thinking about how to grow and develop the organization.
0: How do the companies that work with the Whistler Center benefit from incorporating sustainability efforts? So what what's in it for them essentially? Why should they incorporate more sustainability? I think
1: where we are in time now to attract employees, especially younger employees, if if you don't consider sustainability, then it's sort of a no-go. People are not even interested. You don't not incorporate sustainability anymore. The level of detail and how deep people go, that's the that's where we're at, I think. I think everybody is trying to incorporate at some level, but how deep they go from supply chains to to offsetting or to reducing emissions. it's That's the scale. Environmental, social governance, ESG stuff, everybody is doing it now and everybody has to do it. I think it builds trust for investors, for employees. And yeah, I think we're, we're shifting that way. It's just how deep people are going now.
0: I liked the comment that you made about, it's about scaling up. I know that you disagree with the idea that social innovation, urban planning must continue to innovate constantly. Why is that and how does scaling up relate to that?
1: Yes, that's a good question too. And it's not that I, I disagree with it completely. I think innovation moves us forward constantly, but it's not only innovation that makes change at a big scale. We can't keep piecemealing and having these one-offs as great examples. We need to scale up so that sustainability and social purpose is the way we do things, not an add-on anymore. So in order to scale that up, I don't think we can expect everybody to be innovative and think of new ways to doing something. Rather, we need to learn what's working well and figure out how to replicate and replicate, and replicate, and scale it up so that it's easy for everyone to do, no matter what size the organization, what the cultures are, whatever. Obviously, things need to be customized, but we don't always need to come up with something new in order to make change happen.
0: So back to the more career side of this, what what skills or educational background does urban planning require? I think a good
1: understanding of how
0: communities work how
1: all the different things that make a community tick and I, I and I I often recommend to people who who ask for an inter information interview with me um, who are interested in some sort of community planning is to go do a planning degree because even if you don't end up as a, a planner in a local government um, planners get end up in interesting jobs all over the place. And I think it's an interesting discipline and interesting s- field of study is because it's very integrated, very holistic and systems thinking. So I think being able to think about things in a systems and a holistic view and seeing how everything's interconnected is fascinating, but also just a really a, g- a good asset to have in your knowledge.
0: If you don't have that urban planning specific degree or you're not registered, you can still be involved with it in some ways in, in the way that you are, more the strategic planning side and and more the kind of holistic planning side. So mm-hmm. there's still different ways to be involved. And in, in what ways is your field evolving?
1: I think as we see younger planners move into positions in local government as well we see as I mentioned sustainability is just is, is a given like you don't think about community planning without thinking sustainability whereas I think planners from 30 years ago didn't think as holistically and didn't incorporate sustainability uh, sustainability and sustainable thinking as as deeply like when we see some of the zonings that have, that were done many years ago. And sometimes communities are stuck with the urban form they have because zoning approvals happened 25, 30 years ago when people did not think about sustainability, didn't think about the transportation costs of, if you put housing here and, and employment here, everybody's driving and the, the, the costs to infrastructure, air pollution, climate change, and all that. People just didn't think about that so, so much in the past. Now, there's no way planners in local governments can think disintegratedly like that. Everything has to be much more integrated. So I don't know what planning school was like 30 years ago, but I, I, I'm i pretty sure that planning school now is way more integrated. And I'm often a guest speaker in a planning class. This woman I know who's a planner, um, she's the director of planning, and she teaches this class at the School of Community and Regional Planning at UBC. She always talks about the role of nonprofits in the planning world. So my organization and then she brings someone in from a housing organization, planners from a housing or a nonprofit housing organization and um, so, and social planners. So a diversity of planners, not just community planners but social planners, but everybody from planning just has this way of thinking about communities in an integrated way.
0: What advice do you have for young people interested in pursuing a career path in urban planning and community planning and engagement?
1: As I mentioned before, I do encourage people to take a degree and probably a, a master's degree in planning if they can because essentially everybody needs a master's degree now to, to work in local government at least or other t- uh, types of organizations. And and that also helps them understand which which areas to focus in. Is it social planning? Is it around housing? Is it around more broader community planning or what kinds of planning? And so I think it's a very good degree to have whether you end up in planning or not. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is to talk to people working in the field. So coming up with some really smart questions like yours <laughs> and just talking to people. People are generally really um, willing to talk to to people going interested in the field and going into, into it. So having these inter- information interviews is really good to just understand more, but also it's a good step in the door. So if you do end up um, getting your degree or whatever and starting to, to look look for work, then you already have some connections that you've made in the past.
0: How can our listeners connect with you and learn more about the work that you do? People can email me at any time, cho at whistlercenter.ca. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Anna. And thanks for all your very thoughtful questions. <laughs> thank you very much. Thanks for sitting down with us in the green chair today. Once again, I'm your host, Anna Garza, and stay tuned for our next episode to learn more about the different paths people take to working in the green economy.